welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. That special, it really summarized, Ken, uh, what the message is about today, uh, because through Christ we are accepted, and he, God is a good and gracious King. Uh, what more would we need in order to rejoice and to be satisfied in what God has given to us? Folks, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, I forgot to mention earlier too, we've got the game going on, right? Is it raining out there yet? Afterward today, we've got Super Sunday, a fellowship luncheon, and uh, hopefully a game if anybody was willing to stay around and uh, slosh through the mud. I've, uh, I've heard there's a few that would be willing to do that, so we'll see. But it's usually a good time on Super Bowl Sunday here. But in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have about two more weeks, maybe three, remaining in this study as we finish 1 Thessalonians. So I'm going to begin here with just a, a short primer. A brief primer on what the future has for us next. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to tackle verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. And verse 20, do not despise prophetic utterances. And we are not going to forget to pay proper homage to verse 21, but examine everything carefully. And we will, over the next couple of Sundays, discuss the fruit of the Spirit and how we are taught not to believe every spirit, that's First John chapter 4, uh, and that we are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So that implies we both possess the capacity and we have the responsibility uh, to test them. And since we're going to be on the topic of prophecies, we will invite Scripture to define the spiritual gift of tongues and expose modern distortions of the spiritual gifts. Uh, also, we will observe verse 22, which tells us to abstain from every form of evil. Uh, so that passage alone is probably going to take us uh, a couple weeks. And once we finish 1 Thessalonians... We will proceed straightway into 2 Thessalonians, and there we will see the Apostle Paul explains, well, think of this, the coming of Christ and the day of the Lord again, because the church in Thessalonica becomes infiltrated by false teachers prophesying that the day of the Lord had already come. And other topics that we will cover are a great apostasy, uh, the mystery of lawlessness, the man of sin, a power which is restraining him now, and uh, we'll see what the Lord Jesus is going to do about him uh, when he returns. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a prophecy, all right? I'm going to give you a prophecy identifying the exact day when this man of lawlessness will be revealed. No, I haven't gone completely bonkers, all right? The prophecy I'm going to offer is not mine. It comes from the Apostle Paul 
in what the Apostle Peter calls the prophecy of Scripture. We're told by the Word of God uh, how Jesus is going to handle this man of lawlessness and when. The only prediction that I'm going to make is uh, that you are finally going to be able to have a grasp uh, of the understanding of this apostasy, the man of lawlessness, uh, the circumstances surrounding his revealing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And for those of you who are end times fanatics, I know I am, uh, you may be surprised at several things that aren't present in 2 Thessalonians. There is no mention of an Antichrist making a covenant with Israel. In fact, those three terms, Antichrist, Covenant, and Israel, never appear in 1st or 2nd Thessalonians. That, that is pretty astonishing, actually, uh, considering that Israel is supposedly uh, to be the recipient of a covenant, and the Antichrist is supposedly to be the one who ratifies it. So we are going to talk about where that comes from. Many of you will also be amazed to learn that neither the terms abomination nor desolation appear anywhere in these books. Um, they're nowhere to be found. A reference to the prophet Daniel is non-existent, and therefore you will not be amazed to hear there is no mention of a 70th week of Daniel nor a seven-year tribulation anywhere in these books. And because of some misunderstandings, before we get too deep into chapter 2, uh, I'm going to take us back to Daniel chapter 9. Very, very famous uh, passage. I'm going to explain the 70th week. The 77s, or the 70th seven, commonly referred to as the 70th week of Daniel, uh, to show you what Scripture assures will be experienced in that 70th seven. Uh, and at the same time, also supply a definition of what the angel Gabriel describes as a very strong or unbreakable covenant. Then we're going to determine who it is that makes that covenant. Boy, folks, we have got some exciting material ahead. And uh, what is very encouraging to me as a pastor is that I'm going, I believe, as, as you have already, I believe many are going to depart saying, I finally get it. I finally understand what is being taught here, and uh, we are going to discover that, that the return of Christ, the coming of the Lord, His parousia, or, or His presence, uh, it's, not, it's not a big jigsaw puzzle with a whole bunch of pieces left out of the box. Instead, Scripture paints for us a beautiful portrait, a, a masterpiece, really, of uh, uh, this divine image of complete forgiveness, complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And within that image of salvation, there are numerous things we are to be perpetually thankful for. That is our topic for today. We are to be perpetually thankful for God, God Himself, God's Word, Christ's Church. Those three are at the top of the list. These are three things that will pass through the fire of God's judgment along with us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, pass into eternity God, the Word of God, and the souls of men. Therefore, Christians should experience a, a deep sense of satisfaction in these three things. 
Number one is, is God. It's God. Because He redeemed us from our sins and He saved us from eternal destruction by sending His Son to become a sinless blood sacrifice on a cross. He was a, he was a substitution on our behalf. A propitiation or a satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. That word propitiation, it suggests that God's wrath against our sin, God's justice against sin, it's satisfied at the cross. Divine justice is on display at the cross where all of our debt is paid And we're liberated to to finally and freely obey Christ. When you're an unbeliever, the flesh has control of you. Martin Martin Luther used to call it the bondage of the will. The, The flesh controls the unbeliever. Everything that he pursues is governed by the sinful flesh. But once you recognize that your debt is paid at the cross, we're liberated from that flesh and we are set free to serve Jesus Christ. Number two is the Word of God. Number two is the Word of God. Because Scripture is the instrument through which man gets saved. It's the only instrument through which man gets saved. Man cannot come to a knowledge of God and salvation uh, through natural revelation or that which surrounds us in nature. Uh, though what is visible, what is visible in creation, uh, visible to nature, uh, man is forced to concede, well, God must exist. All of this just couldn't come out of nothing. Oh, wait. God spoke it out of nothing, didn't it? And God exists, and nature testifies that God exists, and and thereby uh, all mankind across the earth is accountable. We are all culpable to acknowledge God. Uh, Yet Romans 1.19 states that though God made himself clearly evident in nature, clearly evident, uh, actually says, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, his, his eternal power, and His divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that man is without excuse. You can look right outside, and there's no excuse uh, but to understand that God has created the heavens and the earth. But Romans 3 and verse 10, and then also Romans 1 verse 18 Remind us that, you know, rather than seek after this God, rather than seek God, all mankind suppresses, suppresses the evidence of divine creation that surrounds us. All of the evidence found in nature, and what does man do instead? What does he do? He does what is unnatural. He sets up an idol carved of wood, and he bows down and worships it. Where's the sense in that? Yet Scripture assures us that none seek after God, no, not even one. And uh, natural revelation, therefore, establishes guilt. But natural revelation 
itself can never save. It can never save. For this reason, mankind needed a special revelation. A special revelation. And and God graciously provides. Through many prophets and in many portions and in many ways, every prophecy of Scripture is proclaimed, it is recorded, and it is preserved. And it becomes not nature, but Scripture that reveals to us that we are sinners, that we are separated from God, that we must be reconciled to Him somehow. And then Scripture reveals a heaven-sent Savior, Jesus Christ Himself, the Righteous One. That all comes through, through special revelation in Scripture. And thereby we rejoice. We rejoice because our greatest need is satisfied by God. And through the knowledge of God provided in the special revelation we find in Scripture, God has revealed His Son to us. Still thirdly, there's more. There is joy amongst the faithful souls of those whom God redeems. They are are people who who congregate and bow their heads to worship together, not in ignorance to a carving made of wood, but men and women who worship in spirit and truth, that very God who created them, male and female, He made them. In John chapter 4, Jesus spoke to a woman at a well in a region called Samaria. And she communicated her concern about, you know, finding the proper place to worship. And during their conversation, the woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she said. And the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus assured her that, that, that your geographical coordinates, they don't matter. They're no longer important. But, Jesus continued, an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit And those who worship him, says Jesus, must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus responded to her saying, I am he. How did the woman respond? She responded with an urgency and a great joy that filled her. She rushed into town and told everybody she knew. Told everyone. 
And the Apostle John tells us that many of them came to Jesus and, and they believed because of the woman's testimony to them. She finally found a purpose in life, telling others that, that she had found Christ. And did they believe, did those people believe because the woman had a stellar reputation? Uh, no. Did they believe because she, she was a, a great public speaker and properly credentialed? No. No, Scripture says that they believed because the woman testified, He told me all the things that I have done. Jesus told her all the things that she had done. And then the, the woman finally acknowledged, she finally acknowledged all of her sinful deeds that she had lived and a desperate need for forgiveness. And so did Jesus. He recognized everything that she had done and her desperate need for forgiveness. And he offered her. He said, drop what you're doing. Come and follow me. She literally did that. She dropped her water pot. And she did what Christ would have each of us do. She learned to follow him. And the people of that city who, who came out to meet Jesus later, they said this, We have heard for ourselves and know that this one indeed is the Savior of the world. Folks, forgiveness is never meant, it's never intended to be enjoyed alone. Salvation by div divine design is intended to be enjoyed in community. Jesus said, I will build my church. Church means uh, assembly. I will build my assembly of my faithful ones, says Christ. So life's enjoyment, life, life's greatest enjoyment, it's found foremost in God, it's revealed in the Word of God, and it is experienced in Christ's church. That is the company of souls who, who have believed that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Folks, that ought to be enough. Yet everything else that comes beyond that, it's just frosting. Everything in the world beyond salvation in Christ, it's great. It's wonderful what we enjoy, but it's just frosting. It's just frosting. God has already provided to us everything that we need to respond to Him with thanks and praise. He, he's given it all. Therefore, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 16, we are commanded to always rejoice. That too is, is stated in the context of the salvation that we together share. It was just a few verses earlier in, in verse 9 that reminded us that God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or, or asleep, 
we will live together with him. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up, just also as you're all doing. Build one another up with the goodness that God has shown us uh, through his word and through one another. Therefore, our verse 16, getting to the passage finally, our verse 16 command to rejoice, the command to always rejoice, it's to, it's to be embraced according to our knowledge that our eternal destiny is secure. It has nothing to do with your current life circumstances. Nothing at all to do with it. In fact, some of your translations correctly state in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. The NASB reads, in everything, not for everything, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. During our earlier scripture reading, when Paul declared to that church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. He was at that time imprisoned for the gospel for which he preached. Paul was to, uh, at least some degree, Paul was suffering. He was in prison. Likewise, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians assured us, assured us very firmly, the, the church to whom Paul writes, they're enduring severe affliction and, and much tribulation for the cause of Christ. They didn't have it soft. And when Paul writes them again, a few months later, that'll be 2 Thessalonians. When Paul writes them again, and a few months later, they're still suffering persecution and tribulation. And they are told to not expect relief to their afflictions until when? We've already looked at this. Until the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's, that's when relief is going to come to their afflictions. That's when relief is going to come to our afflictions. Until that day, prepare to suffer. And though degrees of Christian persecution around the world vary, our relief in Christ will not come until He is revealed. Our relief will not arrive until Christ does. And folks, this, this is not without purpose. This is not without purpose. Suffering injustice during this life keeps us focused on Jesus and His promise to return. I'll say that again. Suffering injustice during this life keeps our minds focused on Jesus and the promise of His return. So if you truly belong to Christ, 
he's not going to allow you to become too comfortable in this world. Folks, don't drive your tent stakes too deep. And due to the great emphasis that Paul places on the afflictions that were endured in the city of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, due to his emphasis of their afflictions, we can be very confident, very confident that experiencing true joy is not to be attributed to always experiencing pleasant circumstances. If this verse 16... If in this verse joy was to be intended to hinge on pleasant circumstances, it would be impossible for the Thessalonians to obey this command to rejoice always because their circumstances weren't that great. Paul states in verse 16, independent of pleasantries, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. It means in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's the will of God. Paul is prescribing ceaseless prayers of thanksgiving for the riches in Christ that we already share. Because our joy is to be continually expressed with thanksgiving, even when our human conditions stink, we can always rejoice. Rejoice always in the knowledge that we have been saved from the wrath of God that is going to come upon the whole world. If you can't be happy with that, I don't know what you can be happy with. Folks, there, there are Christians being taught that we are supposed to carve our joy out of this world, through this world. Create a better you. Compliment yourself. Think positively. I got this off a website called Healthline. Eat mindfully. What does that mean? Here's the next one. Breathe consciously. I guess it's better than breathing unconsciously. Get this. Forgive yourself. Engage in self-care and self-love. Be kind to yourself. Reassess your inner potential. Folks, can you imagine Paul writing any of these things to the churches? Folks, it's vain and empty philosophy searching for the potential in self. They tell you, folks, that uh, your solution is staring at you right there in the mirror. Well, no wonder so many of us are so depressed. If I've got to rely on that guy. Folks, a Christian finds joy in a different place. 
completely different place. Colossians 3 states, If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, listen to the focus again in Colossians, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That's a day I'm looking forward to. Folks, we can always rejoice in the promise of Christ's return. In a couple of weeks, we're going to find this promise in verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Folks, that is a promise that brings great joy. There again, too, we see the word parousia, the, the, the coming or the presence of Christ. Uh, everything Paul has written in this letter. We've seen that word five times in 1 Thessalonians. Everything Paul has written in this letter is punctuated by the coming of our Lord Jesus. It's a giant exclamation mark. In the coming of our Lord Jesus, who according to Galatians 1 and verse 4, quote, gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father. Folks, he's going to rescue us from all of this. And Scripture assures, faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Folks, our joy must be fully realized in God's promise that we are going to be rescued from all of this. And not through acquiring more of all of this. The source of Christian joy is never vested in this world. 